Sam, good to see you. What's going on hey. in your world? Hey, Chris, how you doing? Yeah, so we got the neighbors are putting a new roof on today. So our our whole neighborhood got a lot of a lot of new roofs going on because we're we're coming up on that year anniversary of this freak storm that came through. They called it a derecho, or some people call it a land hurricane that happened about a year ago. So everyone in the neighborhood's getting new roofs. Ours went on in the spring, and a neighbor across the way is getting theirs in now, and. Yeah, it's, uh, so we might hear some background noise. I remember hearing about those storms. Yeah, they sound bad. But in the meantime, you get the benefit of a new roof and you get to work to the lovely staccato of a air-powered hammer. Yeah, all good things. No, our, it, the, <laughs> we, we came out very fortunate. We didn't get the brunt of it. There's a town about 20 miles north that got the big hit. And, you know, they were having winds of over 125 miles an hour. The entire city lost 50% of their trees. I mean, it's it's just, it's... It's insane what they had to go through. So that really week. changes the shape of the whole city. 50% of their trees gone. It does. It absolutely does. I mean, I, and I grew up there. And so going to kind of like my old stomping grounds, there were, there were parts of the town where you can now see, you know, straight downtown, which is 10 miles away, which you never could have before. I mean, like all the tree, tri- I mean, even if the trees survived, like if they're still up, standing upright, the entire tops were just sheared off. So like they have no tops to any of their trees up there. It's it's, but I've never seen anything like it. And, you know, we tornadoes all the time, <laughs> not a big deal, but this is like completely a different, different beast. I mean, it just took out the entire Eastern half of the state was, was hit with this thing. So it was crazy. Wow. So you're cool with tornadoes, but land hurricanes, uh, hopefully don't come back. Yeah. I don't want to do that one again. Yeah. Tornadoes <laughs> are <laughs> tornadoes we're used to. It's just kind of like, yeah, you take a snap, snap a photo of it and get out of the way and you're good. This was like you couldn't get out of the way. It was the entire state covered by it. So we're very fortunate. There was a lot of people that that got hit a lot worse than we did. But like you said, we, we kind of got a new roof out of the deal and it was time. So that all worked out. And so down here, we're, we're kind of okay with it. Nice. Well, we don't have anything close to a land hurricane here, but we are finally getting some rain in Bozeman. That's good the, to hear. Yeah, this is day two of rain and it is wonderful. Hopefully it quells some of the fires that are burning you know, throughout the state and Idaho especially, and it knocks down some of the smoke. But even if it doesn't, it's brought some cooler temperatures. And for some reason, I just kind of love working with a little bit of rain out my window. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm super jealous of that. We've been so dry the last, I mean, it's been a long, long time since we've had a good rainfall. So I am I am jealous of where you're sitting right now. Our water bill's gone up for sure. Just trying, <laughs> trying to keep the flowers alive. It's, it's a full-time job. Yeah. So what's going on in, in the world of text retailer? Yeah. So I've been heads down the last few weeks, just doing a lot of product updates. Some have been customer driven, some actual specific requests that are coming in for customers. Some have been on the, the product roadmap. One that kind of flew out of, out of nowhere. We had a new customer that, that onboarded there. They're still evaluating the, the system, but they were kind of going through the whole signup process that customers have to go through. And they brought up the fact that previously what we were doing is uh, when a new subscriber creates an account, we do the traditional, give us your email, set a password, and then the subscribers would log in with an email and password later on. Typically, they don't have to actually log into their profile. We handle a lot of that as much as we can with magic links and kind of get them into the, the profile setup. But if they ever come back as a subscriber and they want to see like their order history or update their, their shipping address, they have to log into the platform. 
and this would be something that they just don't do that frequently at all. And so to have another email, another password for a system that you just don't log into frequently, this this merchant was kind of like, is there any way we can get around this? Can we just kind of do like a passwordless login system? And I thought about it a little bit more and it makes a lot of sense. You know, we're a mobile first company. We're all about, you know, use your stuff with your phone. So why do we really need an email and password to log in? So spent a little bit of time with this. It was something that I was going to throw away in the back of the, the the roadmap and like kick down the can for a few months. But as I got to think about it more, I'm like, you know, this this would eliminate an entire sign up step. And so it reduces some friction. If we so, so help this. me understand for sure. So your customers, generally, they have a relationship more with the actual merchant than with text retailer, right? The the end customers. Correct. Yeah. And, okay. and that's actually one of the things that we've really emphasized is our white label concept. And a lot of our merchants are drawn to this white label idea. So the end user, the subscriber, the customer, they don't actually know that text retailer is involved. So we're losing a little bit of that virality aspect because there's no powered by text retailer on a lot of our pages, but the merchants love that white labeled aspect. So yes, when, when, a, when a subscriber or customer is interacting with the tech system, they're basically interacting with that business's portal that we run. We generate that code and we generate those pages, but it's all branded as that merchant for that merchant. I see. Yeah. And so, so when what's log- the experience for an end user if they are buying from two different text retailer merchants? As of right now, they're completely separate. So they'd have two okay. separate profiles. And that's something we're juggling. You know, that's that's is is that something we combine so that you have as a subscriber, as a customer, have kind of like a portable wallet that goes with you that you can take to each individual merchant. That's something that we can maybe explore down the line. But as of right now, they're they're all kind of walled gardens, all separated. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that at least others have solved before you too. So you can kind of look at at what's happened out there with Square. You know, if you go to a Square merchant, you get the receipt automatically. But at the same time, you're still interacting directly with the merchant. It'll be interesting to see you, where you go with that. But it sounds like this passwordless login is a, a great first step regardless for the customer experience. I think so. Yeah. I mean, so now when they when they do their registration, we can still capture an email that's part of the customer's profile, but it's not required to set up that email and password combination. And so now when they okay. want to actually log in to see their past orders, they basically put their phone number in. We generate a one-time use token. If you've ever done the the you know the dual login or the 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 verify, you're, you, you get a text yeah yeah two factor that, authentication yep, exactly two factor. So we do that that same concept where you put in your phone number, we generate a, t- a token, a, a code, six digit code, send it to them via text. They type that in, they log in, and that gets cached. It can't be used again for that that actual uh, subscription or the, to log in. It's actually yep. slick, you know, and so the, the customer loves it because they don't have to have another password. The merchants love it because it gets people onboarded a little bit faster. So it'll be, it'll be so far the, the reviews have been very positive for the merchants when I told them. Well, and you've got people who are already on their phone, right? So exactly. It only makes sense. I've done it with, I think Shopify pay does that mm-hmm. or shop pay. They call it, they do something similar. And I also love it, except I've had a couple times where I've had to go actually find my phone, but your customers right. have their phone. That's what they're using. That's that's the theory, at least. Yes. So, I mean, they can still log in with the desktop and yeah, you'd have to go and find the phone, but it's it's a much more mobile experience. So the idea is that they're probably going to be interacting on their phone to begin with. So and with with Apple, with with the iPhones, they do something. They have a really neat piece of technology. When you get that text message, it actually 
can parse that text message with the code and enter it for you. So it's literally like a yes. one tap on iPhones and the customer gets logged right in. So it's it's a really slick interface and system when when it all works together like that. That is very cool. Was that a big undertaking? What was the scope of that? It was surprisingly low. It was one of those things that I thought it was going to be a big deal, but you know, we were already capturing that information as far as the profile stuff set up. So it was just kind of ripping out this old, old thing that was no longer needed. There was a lot of work on the kind of our purchasing engine to make sure that passwords and emails, you know, for no longer capturing a password, was that required to to make a purchase and just kind of vetting that. But as far as the actual development, it, I think I had it done in a couple of days or a few days and then with some testing and it was, it was about a week project. So it was nice. I love it when a feature goes like that. You mentioned that was something that, you know, was way down the road on your roadmap. So it was there, but a, a new customer kind of came and kicked it to the forefront. Do you have a, a real roadmap that you're following or how do you maintain that? It's a rough map, I would say. It's honestly there's there's a it's not terribly formal. I've I have a spreadsheet with kind of different ideas of major updates to do, and I kind of put some ratings on them as far as to try to get some quantitative value to each of those features of what I build out, and that helps me a little bit. But frankly, I'm still in that stage where I'm listening to these customers. We're so new that it's still that learning phase. And if a customer comes and is very emphatic about a new feature that they want, if it makes sense, if it's valuable for the platform and I'm not going off on some, you know, waste of time, potentially, frankly, it gets bumped up. And this one was just, I I really like this merchant. I think they have a huge potential and they were very enthusiastic about this, this concept. And it was something we were going to do anyway, so we, we bumped it up on the list. We do something very similar. I mean, I've got a, a rough whiteboard, don't even have level of effort or benefit. It's more areas of the site. And same thing, customer comes, they need something. Because at this point, you know, you're going to be feature deficient, at least where we are in our journey. And I think you are in yours. There's always more features to build. So when a customer comes and says, hey, I really need X, they seem like a good customer and the idea they have would benefit other customers, you know, may or may not already be on the, in my world, whiteboard roadmap makes sense, then we build it and move on. Yeah. And that, and that leads to some challenges as far as, you know, are you over-engineering? Are you overbuilding? Are you trying to please that one customer once? So there's, there's no formal process. Honestly, it's just a gut feel of whether or not that's a waste of time or something, something good. And that's, that's always the balance, especially when you're building something that's a platform is, a feat, you know, a certain feature may be critical to a particular merchant that others can take or leave. You know, a great example that we have is our local merchants, they really want the option for people to pick up in store, whereas the national merchants, they're shipping everything. That that feature doesn't matter to them at all. And so it's trying not to overwhelm the system with all these different customizations, but realizing different merchants and different customers need different things. Yeah, in my world, it's always the enterprise customers that we have to be very careful of. I mean, there are a couple major players, both on the municipal side, big cities, or big contractors, you know, 100 plus trucks. They want some really cool stuff. And of course, we desperately want to work with them, but it's really easy to go down a rabbit hole and uh, build something out that then, you know, six months later, you realize wasn't even core. Yeah. Single sign-on probably being the uh, the most famous one. Everybody wants single sign-on, but it's a fair bit of effort actually. And it's not really necessary for the core of the, the business. 
I think we could devote a whole episode talking about enterprise sales early on for, for a bootstrap business and a startup and how they are. So there's some risk there, you know, and it's definitely appealing. You know, you get, you get that big name or you get that big check from an enter- that enterprise brings, but man, they bring a lot of, a lot of concerns. So I'm sure we can, we'll dive into that someday. Yeah. Let's put it on the list. I've got some baggage from a past business that I would love to get off my chest as far as that goes. You'll go deep that day. That'll be great. So, so what's going on with you? What's, what's new in your world? Man, well, it was supposed to be a particularly big week. We were going to be onboarding our very first customer. On, onboarding is actually the, the wrong word. We've got six or seven customers signed up now, but our onboarding process is actually a couple months long. There's just a lot of integration that has to happen and a lot of data conversion that has to happen. And our industry is slow. So we work with you know a, a pretty lengthy approval process. So Friday, we were hoping to have our first customers actually get their hands on the site and start using the app. Just prior to us recording here, I got off the, the a call with my uh, my main developer, and we decided, you know what? Let's let's kick the can down the road. Let's do this on Monday. Fridays are never a great time to get people using something new. We don't want to ruin the weekend, so yeah. let's let's roll on Monday. Okay. All right. So is that something that the, the customers are going to be, they're going to be okay to that, 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 that small, you know what, there is probably an email sitting in my inbox right now. You know what? I'll, I'll read it. Let's look right here on the air. I'm going to check. <laughs> We're, we'll cut this out if the email hasn't come, <laughs> which it hasn't. So okay. yeah, I, I sent an email off again, just prior to recording to the one customer who I know has a big backlog of work and is itching to get going. And I just said, hey, sorry, we got we got to do this Monday. I mean, frankly, there's a couple bugs there that we would be scrambling to fix. And I'd really rather them have a smooth first experience that's a day late than a bad one. That's smart. I mean, the that first impression you'll never get back, you know. And so even if it's a small delay, and, and it's not like you're talking two weeks, you're talking... Friday to Monday. <laughs> it's a weekend, you know, take the, take the weekend. And just to get that all ironed out as much as possible, I think can go a long way. Yeah. You know, both of our businesses are transactional in the sense that customers have something they are looking to do, you know, whether it is send out a campaign, make a sale ultimately in your world or in my world, they need to create a deliverable. You know, they need to get these assets inspected and particularly for a contractor, they need to then wrap that up into a tidy package that can be delivered to their end customer. And if one thing goes wrong in that entire process, their opinion you know, is not good. It didn't work. It didn't solve my problem. So yeah, we can have all kinds of fancy features, but the one we're actually working through right now is just this little PDF generation bug that we haven't quite solved. And if they can't generate these PDF reports, they can't deliver to their end customer, they don't get paid, and their experience was poor. Yeah, or worse, it's it's incorrect, you know, and so they send this off and the city says, hey, they're they rejected and they have, you know, X number of days or weeks to kind of fix that and they're coming back to you. And so we spend so much time in that that checkout engine, the sales engine, to make sure that these transactions are correct. Because if we don't, like you said, I mean, we're we're dealing with people's actual funds, you know, and so if if we're off by a little bit. That's that's a big deal because you're you're dealing with with actual money that's changing hands and 
And with, with the deliverables that you're talking about, there's big money. That's the, This is big money to those contractors to make sure that it's done right so they get paid quick. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, we're not actually charging people on the spot, but if they get those deliverables rejected, they're in a world of hurt. I mean, they're depending on that steady cadence of, I do my inspections, I QA my inspections, and I deliver them to the city, then I get paid, rinse and repeat. If there's a wrinkle in that, you know, these guys are running pretty lean and it's a problem. So anyway, hopefully Friday to Monday isn't a big wrinkle. I'm actually kind of feeling a little bit better about having the weekend to work through that. It was a tough decision to make, but I think ultimately we made the right one. We did offer to help that one customer who's quite backed up work through their backlog a little quicker with some custom import stuff. So I don't know. I hope that alleviates their pain, but excited to finally get people really using the site and reacting to it. It's such a big change when that happens. You know, I mean, we're, we're still kind of in that, that beta phase, but our merchants are, they're selling product through, through the platform and the amount of learnings that I've gotten in the last four or five weeks have been really telling, you know, because you can test the system all you want, but you're not going to use it like your users use it. And to see those real world situations makes a huge difference. You are so, so right. I mean, we're still guessing. So yeah, can't, can't wait for that. In the meantime, you know, one of the reasons we are just running a little bit behind where we'd like to be, I, I think we, everybody always is, that's the nature of, of a new business. But, you know, for us, we're really starting to feel some pain of, of me being a bottleneck and working with, you know, Ryan, who is fantastic developer. We have a great working relationship, but we only have so many hours in the day. And we're getting pinched. So yeah, finally made the decision in our world that it's time to bring on some additional folks to help help move things forward. So we're going to start hiring. And that's, that's new and different for us. That's a big step. That's a big step. What's your, what's your plan with that? <laughs> well, that's a big know, question. I know. <laughs> wait, plan. Are we supposed to have a plan for that? No, you know, so first thing I wanted to kind of, really think about when I even started the business is what, what type of business to build, right? You know, in the past I've built VC backed businesses, which are higher as quickly as you can scale, scale, scale. I've done bootstrap businesses with W2 employees. It's kind of what I'm coming off of most recently. And that's awesome. I mean, you really build an amazing team, a lot of loyalty uh, to one another. But this time I'm wanting very much to go remote first, contractor only business. And so that's kind of given me some some other things to think about, you know, how to build that team and have the benefits of a true team, but only using contractors who never see each other other than on Zoom. So that was the first thing I wanted to establish. Yeah. And what's what's the main appeal that you see of going with that contractor based kind of team. You know, I could give some fluff about how it's the future of work and and I think it is and I love the idea of everybody being autonomous and owning their own road. I mean, I think I truly think there's something really neat about that. But that's not why I'm doing it. The real reason why I'm I'm doing it is because I think it's going to help us build the most efficient business. We can have People roll on and roll off both as they see fit. You know, it's a two-way street. 
but also as we see fit. And so it's not a full-time, you know, some folks might be full-time, but it's not necessarily a full-time indefinite period. It's we have these particular needs at this particular time in the business's trajectory. You're the best person for the job and it's going to be amazing to work together. And when it comes to a natural end, you know, the contractor will go on to find another company with a very similar need and we won't have that payroll burden anymore. It sounds like these, these individuals, and that's the thing that I, I'm also kind of looking at this contractor based idea. And there's, there's definitely some projects that you're working on that it just makes sense. You know, one of the things we're looking at is doing some improvements in our AWS infrastructure. So to bring someone in that's an AWS expert that can just kind of be that DevOps person for the infrastructure makes a lot of sense. It's a project-based thing. And I think that's what a lot of people think about when, when it comes to contractors. You're hiring them for a specific product project and then it's done. Or you're hiring them maybe on a retainer basis, but it's always part-time. It sounds like, obviously, that could be a part of the mix, but you might also be leaning towards, you might have contractors that are giving you 20, 30, even 40 hours a week that are kind of permanent, but they're just not a W-2 relationship. Yeah, I think that very well could be what they're doing. I mean, we're, we're more than happy to have people. We have more than enough to do for 40 hours a week. But I think the main thing is that contractors might get excited about a different part of the business at any given time. You know, So some contractors might love the idea of developing the application from where it is now, which is still pretty raw and new, to something more stable. You know, And so it might be a period of time that they're working 40 hours a week, but at some point, fingers crossed, we're going to have a very stable product. And so that might be a time that they'd prefer to roll off and work with another company who's at that previous point that we were in their journey. And somebody else might roll on who loves just scaling challenges, right? You know, so there's not necessarily a predefined it's working for two months or it's working uh, 20 hours a week. I think it's much more about what are the business's needs at any given time and what does the contractor love to do and what are they an expert at? So that's the the mutually beneficial relationship that I'm that I'm hoping to build. Yeah, it definitely sounds if it's great if you can find it. You know, I think that's one of the challenges. If you don't have that core team, you might be doing a lot of searching for contractors and for to fill those particular holes that exist there. And so there's there's no matter what, I mean, it, we talk about this all the time. You break it down, there's pros and cons to every approach. There's different ways to go about it. There's six different ways to, to handle a particular problem. It's a ta- challenge. But you were talking about something really interesting is, is it possible to take that group of contractors who, like you said, don't see each other? Can you build a kind of cohesive team out of that? Can you build a cu- culture out of that kind of setup? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting challenge that that we're going to face, others have faced before us. You know, I think that Josh Pigford is doing some interesting things with maybe, and it looks like they're already starting to build that culture. A team is critical. You know, if if we're not working as a team, if we're just working as a bunch of individual mercenaries, you know, I don't think we're going to get as much done. I really am hoping to evolve from hired gun, do a specific job, move on, 
to let's build a team that works together, that riffs off each other and, and builds together. Culture is a whole nother level, man. You know, what does our company stand for? What's it like both internally and to our customers? And, and I haven't gotten there yet. Have you given that any thought for, for your business? I think the ideal model that I'm, and again, this is all on paper, haven't really, you know, hit the, hit the actual real world experience with this at all. But the idea that I kind of see for the business is a core team. And uh, that could be two, three, four individuals, very small core that are kind of in charge of the different verticals within the, the, the product. So you have your product, the product team, you have the marketing team, you know, the, those type of like very high level type of things that the business needs. And so I could see building a core team. Those might be probably going to be contractors to begin with, but I'm also a big fan of if you find that right person, bring them in the fold, move them to a W2, have them part of the business, you know, even talk about equity and things like that to really build that core team. And then from there, you can kind of grab other contractors that can kind of do, for lack of a better term, the busy work, you know, the, the execution of that plan. But having a core team that's there to kind of drive the strategy, I think, is what I'm striving for. Again, I've done mm-hmm. zero work to get there <laughs> with, with building that team, <laughs> but that's that's kind of how I view it right now. And if I were to kind of fast forward, you know, marketing is something that I definitely can learn a lot in. It's not my core strength. So having someone that comes more from a marketing background that could be that that strategy setter when it comes to uh, high level marketing, I think is very important. I'm a product guy, so I'll if I had the ability to do product day in and day out and build build text retailer and, and make it better every single day, I would love to do that. Obviously, I don't have that luxury of that doing that as the founder. I can try to do it as much as possible. But frankly, you know, there there could be a time where I'm not even coding anymore and I'm just doing very high level decision strategy making and the team kind of does the execution piece. So I can see having a whole engineering team as well, a core engineer and and a handful of contractors that help them. So that's kind of the idea, long way to get there. And it's, you got to take that first step to begin it, but uh, that's, that's kind of how I see it. So right now it's just you, right? Yeah. Somehow accomplishing everything everything in every vertical. Yes. Which is pretty incredible. Well, uh, and it's to me it's, anyway. It's you know, I mean the marketing right now is we got a website and it's like I'll maybe circle back to it and I have done a little bit of contracting as far as content generation which has been phenomenal. I I use a company called Audience Ops which they actually write blog posts for me. We kind of settle on the topic, they do all the research. Every 2 weeks they pump out a new article, we have a back and forth if I have any changes, but that's been Great. And so I see the power of bringing in contractors that are just really, really, really great at their skills. And so this company, that's all that they do is one thing is just we write blog posts for, you know, SaaS companies and e-commerce and that's, that's all they do. And that's where I like the plug and play aspect of finding different contractors or even agencies that can help with this. Because if I were to hire a marketer that Yes, they might be able to write blog posts, but that might not be their core strength. They might be an ad person. And so they're really good at ads, but we're not big enough to be able to justify even 20 hours a week 
of writing a blog post or 20 hours a week of tweaking ad spend. We ju- we're just not big enough. And so to be able to find kind of those more mercenary aspect, you know, mercenary type contractors that just come in and do one thing and do it super well, that's the stage that we're at right now. But I can definitely see wanting to expand that just because you have, you constantly have needs. I mean, there's so much stuff that, that we're just not, I'm just not getting done <laughs> that, that needs so- to be done. So that's where we were too, right? There were so many things not getting done. I felt like I was a big bottleneck and eventually the pain became too great. And now for better or worse, you know, I'm trying to hire four people. Wow. When, when will you start hiring? What's your decision trigger going to be? I still am in that learning phase in the sense that I have a good sense of who my customers are in that they're, they're probably, I mean, they're selling a product. They're probably in the e-commerce space. Frankly, right now, most of the people that are signing up for Text Retailer are already familiar with this reply to buy concept. They've seen another business do it or they've seen it in the wild and they're like, I want that. So that's a much different way to market to those individuals because they're already familiar with the concept than those who might have a text messaging program, but didn't even think that you can actually sell product directly through text messages. That's a completely different marketing education challenge of not only reaching out to individuals saying, Hey, I want you to switch, or I want you to create a text messaging program that does this thing that you've never even heard about. So that's a completely different. So I think what needs to happen is finding that clear cut marketing channel, and then just pouring the gas on that. And I'm still kind of figuring that out. And that comes from customers and that comes from learning your different customers, what their needs are, who they are, where they, you know, where they live, what they listen to, what they read and figuring out which ones are the best fit for their business who could use text retailer the best, but also who are the best customers for, for text retailer. So it's not just the marketing channel to reach those customers. It's who are those individual customers? Right. Right. And you're you're looking to solve that challenge first before you pour on the gas and the gas would be potentially hiring. Is that what you're thinking? It could be. It kind of depends on how that, that takes place. I mean, if, if we, I've been dabbling a little bit in some Google ads and different channels. And if one of those takes off, then obviously the idea is that it gets to a point where there's so much inbound that I need help with onboarding customers or answering questions of customer support, or just kind of helping that customer success role work and or helping those customers really achieve the best that they can with the platform because there's a lot of setup to do. I mean, to set up a text messaging platform or program for a merchant, it's a lot of work. It's a lot to think about. It's it, we're back in the early days, like when email started to happen for businesses, you know, to start capturing those emails and rolling it into your business and to really think about email as a, as a channel to talk to, for the merchants to talk to their customers, that's a big deal. And we're just start starting to see that in text messaging space as well. So for a lot of merchants, this is completely new territory. They they just it's a it's a whole lot that they have to set up. There's a whole lot that they have to learn. We're here to help them. And right now we can manage the the dozen or so merchants that are on the platform. But I think over time, obviously, if that gets into the, the hundreds or thankfully even or hopefully even the thousands, that's going to take a team to kind of help those merchants be as successful as possible. Yeah, I hear you there. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, we, we have about a one to two month onboarding process. Mm-hmm. So there is a, a lot to do. It's very manual, a lot of back and forth. It's not just sign up and go. So yeah, 
as we hit volume, that'll be an area that we need help into. For me, that always is what drives it. I've, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I've never really understood the VC mindset of get your pile of money, hire your team, and then grow. Uh, and maybe that's the wrong way to think about it um, because it definitely works for some companies. But for me, it's always been figure out the business, figure out who your customers are, slowly grow with them, and then strategically deploy money where it makes sense. And that generally comes with customers. <laughs> You're not making any money without customers. And so as that customer volume ramps up, there's going to be more needs, whether it's the actual helping them and that, that onboarding process like you're talking about, or it's going to be engineering needs too. You know, you got to improve the product, to, whether it's pure scaling that the customer doesn't see, or it's new features that they're requesting they need. Yeah, at least this time around, I'm taking the approach of once the pain becomes too great, you know, then it's time to hire. The downside to that is it's not like just ripping off a Band-Aid and the pain goes away, right? Hiring itself is painful too, as I'm, I'm finding. And once you find even the best people, there's a whole onboarding process for them. You know, it's not just your customers. It's, it's onboarding the new, new hires. So yeah, I think we're, we're going to have some growing pains over the next couple months, but I'm hoping let's check back, you know, later this fall, I'm, I'm hoping that we've got a team humming along and, and those needs filled and, and we're feeling better once that happens. Yeah, I think so. And, and it'll be really interesting to see how it comes about, you know, first of all, this, this hiring market is so difficult, especially when you get into grabbing developers. And so I, I think that's one of the things that is a constant on, or going to be a constant on my mind, even when you have that team, are they looking at other areas and are they looking for other opportunities? And, you know, do they have a one foot half out the door, you know, type of thing. And so that kind of goes back to that culture aspect. Can you provide something more than just a paycheck to incentivize those individuals to want to be part of something that, that you're building? Yeah, absolutely. Something that's that little extra because otherwise a dollar more an hour or slightly bigger salary and they're jumping. And I think that's a risk in the contractor world. And that's the way the way the economy works, you know, so I fully accept that. But yeah, if we can do anything possible to retain that talent once we find them, I think that'll be important for the duration that you know they are contributing the way they want to and that we want them to. Do you ever see a time, and this is so far out, but do you ever see a time where that contractor base concept could transition more into a permanent employee type base? Is there, is there a size issue that you get to like, is it like you hit a certain size and that kind of triggers over and that's a naturally a better fit just because there's enough work to do? I think that's definitely possible. I am purposefully not entertaining that right now because I really want to give the remote and contractor based approach a fair shake. Yeah. You know, I think it's a lot easier in some ways to fall back on the stability of a W2 and, and maybe that ends up as a detriment to the company too, because we're not continuing to engage with, with the people that are helping build our, our business. Right. So if those contractors start to not value the culture, not value the work they're doing, they're going to leave. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Whereas a W2 employee, you know, it might just be, we're going to stay on, we're going to have some boring months, we're going to have some boring years. And, and it, nobody's contributing the way that they want to. And we're not getting the value that we could out of somebody who is really, really engaged. 
So that's where I'm most interested in giving the contractor model a shake. But frankly, yes, I think there is a possibility. I mean, as you were talking about building a core team of W2 employees who were completely dedicated to leading various aspects of the business, I definitely had doubts in my strategy. I'm going, yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty good too. I think your approach is a great starting point. I mean, for me right now, even though there's so much to be done, I don't have the the infrastructure in place like you were talking about where the the communication aspect and how do you talk to these these new employees how do you communicate with them how do you fill their plate so that they're most productive and even if i were to bring in a developer or a marketing person like off the top of my head there's so many projects to be done but i'm like you know maybe 20 hours in a week of stuff that they could be working on at this point. And so I think it's kind of a, it's, it's this traditional chicken and the egg problem of if you bring in someone at a full 40 hours a week, are they actually being as productive as, as to fill that 40 hours or are you just kind of throwing random stuff at them? So I think the contractor way is a great way to kind of dip your toes in that water and then as things grow and things get more complex, it might become painfully obvious that A, you have a great contractor that you love working with and you have a ton of need. And it's just a matter of rumping, ramping them up into that full 40. And then W2 might make perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to rule that out, but I'm also not ready to rule it in. We'll, we'll see what happens as things go. The infrastructure communication making sure that they're able to hit the ground running is is a whole nother challenge we're working on. That's part of the ripping off the band-aid. They're, they're sourcing the candidates and then there's, okay, we found someone, they're awesome, they're psyched to work with us, we can't wait to have them on board, but how do I do a complete brain dump so they understand everything about the business domain, the history, you know, and then their p- specific role, whether it's you know on the customer success side or the dev side or anything else. A lot to that portion too that we're going to be dealing with i think there's going to be a lot of late nights and you guys have so much industry knowledge that you need to convey and there's it's such a specialized concept and there's so much that needs to be transferred over that that's one of your challenges is you bring someone that's completely outside of the industry that knows nothing about it and then how much training is required to bring them up to speed just so they can even have a conversation with one of the customers and know what the heck the customer is talking about or are you locking yourself into industry people already? And is that talent the talent that you want? And so when you get deep into a specific industry that's very specialized, that's that's a tough thing to, to handle. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'll tell you right now, we're going purely outside of the industry. I have a couple people right now who are almost, I hesitate to even call them contractors, but they're helping out that do have a little bit of industry knowledge. But for these new hires and these real next hires, they're going to go outside of the, we're going outside of the industry and we're going to attempt to help them learn, you know, and, and part of what we're looking for is people who are interested in learning something mm. new. Yeah. That's, that's actually a key thing in the job description that we're seeking. So yeah, let's check back next time and see how it goes. No, I'm excited to see where this goes because there's a big difference between building a product and building a business. And it seems like you're transitioning away from or transitioning to that next level, which is, okay, I've built my product or I'm still building the product, but that requires a certain set of skills. And now you're thinking about how do I build the business itself and make this a sustainable thing that can grow either with or without me? 
you know, the ideal is that it grows without you uh, eventually, but it's building that business aspect. And that's a completely different mindset than just pumping out a product that people want to buy. What do you see as, as different about that? I mean, I know we're, we're kind of hitting the end of our time here, but I'm deeply curious. How would you define the difference between a product and a business? I think the big piece is kind of those intangibles that we talked about are the team, the culture, the brand, you know, a brand is much more than a logo. It's, it's whatever the marketplace thinks of your, your business. And I think it's that infrastructure piece. It's all of those behind the scene things that customers never see. It's, it's how you're communicating with each other as a team. It's the behind the scenes documentation. It's just the general feel that someone gets when they come to work at your business, you know, I mean, it's the general feel that they get when they, when they're working day to day. And it's more than just show up, sling some code, you know, build a product. But with that being said, it's no clear line. <laughs> it's, it's hard to say <laughs> because a lot of, a lot of it goes hand in hand. Obviously you don't have a business without a product, you know, and so yep. you need to be able to build that product. But I, I think there's, there's things that you can do that set you up for success, that investment of how are we going to build this product? And I think that gets more into the business building aspect. I love that. That's another topic that would be fun to get into on another show here. I'm already thinking about that too. In fact, one of the hires we have a job post out there for is a real content marketer, but a technical content marketer. You know, someone who can take our our help docs and some of our videos and turn them into a nice cohesive voice that represents the brand that we're trying to build and the interaction we want to have with our customers. But that can only happen if we're firing on all cylinders and aligned with that vision internally. Right. So it's a fun, fun challenge that we're going to be running up against soon. Well, and sometimes those new hires will drive that culture. Anytime you add someone new into the mix, they're going to bring to the table their own experiences and they can help form that culture, that voice of your brand, of your business themselves. And so I think it's not something that we necessarily have to figure out all on our own as we build. Yeah, you're, you're so right. Well, I think we're coming to time, so we're going to end it with the, Chris, what are you into now? (laughs) Into lately. (laughs) (laughs) I I got one. You got Uh, one. I've got one. I got to show you here. So you guys can't see it, but I'm showing Sam the back of my arm. Yeah. That looks like you've seen these like a little bandage type of thing with like, is that a sensor that's on there? It is a sensor. It is a continuous glucose monitor. Oh, wow. Put out there, at least the app and the, the marketing is done by a company called Very Stable, V-E-R-I Stable. So I've been really focusing on, on health lately and making sure that your blood sugar levels and, and insulin response is spot on, is, is a really good indicator of metabolic health. And everybody uh, reacts differently to different foods. You know, you can have a generally healthy diet, but some foods like for me, beets actually really spike my blood sugar and it crashes. And I had no idea until I got this little sensor that I stuck on the back of my arm and a very well-designed app from Very that I use. I I scan the sensor with my phone as often as I want and I get real-time data that I can then uh, correlate with the foods I'm eating and geek out all day long on numbers that <laughs> may or may not matter. You're biohacking. I love it. So was this, was this am, something am that, I biohacking? Is I, that a real, I, well, I think that stage one is learning and then, and then you can start, you know, okay. doing all kinds of stuff to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> the bionic man here yeah. so, shortly. So I'm just curious, is this something that you just kind of did on your own or was this like recommended from someone in the healthcare 
industry or a doctor or just you're just giving it a whirl? Well, technically, you do have to have a prescription. Oh, okay. but don't worry. The people who are making the apps around this have doctors on hand oh, ready to help you. write those prescriptions to anybody who wants one. So yeah, no, I, I heard about it from some friends who are a little deeper down this biohacking rabbit hole than I am. And I love love good data. So I there have to go. give it a whirl. All right. Yeah. Very, very stable. No sponsorship. Okay. <laughs> nice. Well, I expect a full dashboard with all of your readouts to be, you know, build in public, Chris, <laughs> and just show everyone mm. your glucose levels <laughs> in, in public. We'll, we'll post those <laughs> along with my DNA sequence <laughs> and everything else. And then I've definitely made myself obsolete. That sounds great. Well, I look forward to hearing more about that. So I think it's about that time. Yeah. Yeah. Great chatting with you, Sam. Great chatting with you. Notes for the show can be found at sasslife.fm. See you next week or next time. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers.